Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump. This is late night. I got the kids to bed a little earlier. Basement edition, and we are talking about um, optimal beta reduction in the podcast right now. And uh, <clears throat> we've started talking about um, sort of representing lambda terms with graphs that have explicit duplicators in them. And we're sort of right knocking on the door to talk about Lamping's abstract algorithm. Uh, but I wanted to take a, make a small digression from that because, as I've mentioned, I've been trying to understand how this optimal beta reduction business relates to the decades and decades of research on compilation of functional programming languages. Um, I think if you polled the average programming languages researcher, they would probably agree that um, if there's anything functional programmers, you know, the functional programming field knows how to do well, or at least has studied the heck out of, it is how to compile functional programming languages. Possibly the sort of second runner-up candidate there would be type inference algorithms. Both of these have just hundreds and hundreds of papers and decades worth of research uh, on how to do these things well. And, um, you know, so it sort of seems like optimal beta reduction kind of claims to be a competitor, which is nice. You can be a competitor and be crushed. That's fine. But actually, it claims to be better because, hey, guess what? It's provably optimal, meaning it's not going to ever do work that uh, in the sense of doing beta reductions that aren't um, needed on the way to normal form. And furthermore, if there is one that's needed on the way to normal form, it's only going to do it once. So it never duplicates work. This is a really big deal. And other languages um, don't, you know, other implementations and methods of implementation do not provide that guarantee. They do not promise you that they will never um, reduce the same redux twice um, in different sort of paths of execution. And so, but still, you know, I mean, I've done a little bit of asking around and, and the PL researchers I've talked to about this, and it hasn't been too many, have basically been kind of like, yeah, they maybe you've heard of that, but really there's no way you're going to beat the kind of traditional compilation algorithms that are out there, um, at least, for, you know, for general interesting programs. And that, that point, it's possible that that point is true. I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to say it's been disproved because, um, but I, what I think, but what we can show, and I did some experiments that I wrote about on my blog, and so I kind of wanted to share a little bit about these experiments here on this podcast as well. And if you want to see the source code and stuff like that, and you know, you can these are short little snippets of code you can run yourself. Um, just go over to my blog QA9, which you can find linked from my homepage. And um, anyway, I did some little experiments because I was really, really curious: could I observe non-optimal behavior with GHC, the Glasgow Haskell compiler? an amazing feat of engineering and also at least a couple decades worth of research. Maybe it's three decades now. Quite a bit of research, development, engineering. It's a very impressive tool and it's capable of doing some mind-blowingly awesome stuff. But it's never claimed to be optimal. And you might, and you know, well, okay, so it's not optimal, but it's really, really good. Uh, and you know, nobody has demonstrated, uh, to my knowledge, an implementation of optimal beta reduction that on sort of mainstream everyday programs just crushes something like GHC. Uh, 
but could we still, and I, that, that, you know, even finding a test case that sort of seems kind of compelling, like that's a program I would actually want to write and run. Um, and I, and it's doing worse on GHC than it would do under optimal beta reduction. I, I can't say I've found this, but I have found mostly thanks to intervention from Victor Maya, who saved me <laughs> by, uh, um, thinking, wasting a couple of his precious, precious hours of his time thinking about nice examples that show non-optimality of GHC. And I've got a couple thanks to him. Um, so the, it's first, so anyway, so these are examples where if you run them with, if you compile them with GHC dash O2, so with some optimizations on, I don't know enough about GHC to know whether that's, you know, the killer combo or whatever, that's the right thing to do. But it's definitely trying to turn on some optimizations and you can watch runtimes go way, way up. Or, I'm sorry, way, way down. <laughs> you can watch big performance improvements if you turn on Dash O2 and compile some little programs. Um, anyway, so Victor was kind enough to, to help churn up, uh, to more or less provide examples, or he did provide examples of programs that GHC with Dash O2 exhibits non-optimal behavior. And so I want to tell you a little about these. And I, I modified the first one of his. So, um, and the, so the, the first example, um, was his, his idea is basically do some kind of expensive computation and like say compute some kind of data structure or something or other and then access a little piece of it. But do this repeatedly to access, let's say, all the little pieces of it, or many little pieces of it. But each time you're trying to access a piece of the data structure, recompute the entire data structure. At least, you know, call a function that, that if naively um, executed, would be recomputing the whole data structure. Well, optimal beta reduction is guaranteed not to recompute an entire data structure like that. Um, so, uh, you know, so you don't, optimal would, um, if, you, if GHC were optimal, you would see um, a performance sort of characteristics that would show you that it's not recomputing that all the, the some big data structure all the time. So here's my version of the, the, the example Victor came up with. So my version is um, take, so let's have, we have a little command line program and this you can find this on my blog, that takes in a number X and it computes um, X to the X, okay, which is, and you could take in a fairly big number, and that big number computation can be sort of expensive. Um, we're going we're gonna to work with um, unbounded precision, you know, integers, arbitrary precision integers, so unbounded integers. So computing x to the x, if you pick a, you know, modestly big size x, that, that's going to take a little while, right? So that's, this is sort of like the equivalent of computing the data structure. You compute this thing, and then you turn it into a string. And then your silly sort of thing you do is you repeatedly select the, the, the digits out of that string. I mean, you just select all the elements one at a time, <coughs> excuse me, and glue them back together. <coughs> Pardon me. Glue them all back together to get that same string again. Now, so if you write this code, um, you know, I've got this in my code on my blog, you'll see I've got, if you take a look at that, I've got a function that basically does this x to the x thing and turns it into a string. And then I've got another function called digit that takes in x and it takes in an, a, an n that's what digit you want out of the, the string representation. And it, so it calls this other helper function to, turn, to give you the string representation of x to the x and then it selects that particular digit. 
okay? And so then you then you run this digit x function. So a digit takes in two arguments, x and n. And you run digit x on all the n's from 0 to x minus 1. And so that just ends up basically recomputing the string representation of this thing. But it, every single time you ask for a digit, you recompute, you call this x to the x and turn it into a string again. Now, if you look at this, you'd think, oh, this is kind of just, this is rather badly written code. Like, why? first of all, this is really terrible that <laughs> you'd be doing any of this. So that's why I have to say, I don't feel like this is really not the killer example that shows kind of like, ooh, that's a program I can really sort of see myself wanting to write, and I can see the GHC is non-optimal with dash O2. Yeah, this pro program isn't quite there yet, but it does show that GHC is non-optimal on this kind of weird, dumb, artificial program. Because, um, you know, a sensible programmer is not going to recompute this data structure again and again for each call. You'll recompute, you call it computed once, and then access it many times. That's fine. But the way I've described the code, you recompute the string representation of x to the x every single time you want a digit of that, okay, which is dumb. But amazingly, optimal beta reduction will, in a sense, is like magically going to optimize that code for you, um, and it won't recompute the data structure. But GHC will. And so you can run this thing um, with dash O2, and you can see uh, pretty slow runtime. And if you just change the code a little bit to do what I said you sh any sensible programmer would know to do, which is to factor out computing the string representation of x to the x, just do it once in your code, write your code so it says, I just do it once, and then I get all the digits out. If you make that change, then you see a humongous uh, speed up. So you get like a, oh, I don't know, it looks like two orders of magnitude improvement or like a factor of 50 or something improvement. Um, uh, or I, I, my, my back of the envelope math is lousy, but um, yeah, I don't know, 30, 40 X faster. So, um, uh, so GHC is not doing what the sensible, it's, it's not able to optimize that code to pull that computation out. Um, and you say, well, I guess that's just a limitation of its optimizer or something. Well, if its optimizer could make it optimal, then it really would be an optimizer instead of an improver, wouldn't it? But it can't. So, um, so that, that's a pretty, I mean, I kind of like this example because even though it's doing something dumb, you could sort of imagine that, yeah, surely there'd be some program I might want to do that kind of does something like that. Or at the very least, you could say, well, it's kind of nice that I don't have to refactor my code to pull out that computation. I can just know. It's kind of like, I mean, you know, with, with uh, when you write Haskell code, you know, the default uh, operational semantics is that it's lazy. And so you just know, ah, just, you know, you can say compute this, compute that, compute this, compute that. And you don't really have to worry too much because if, those computations aren't needed, GHC won't do them. Well, um, this is even a little bit more power. This is just like a more powerful version of that. You can write code that's even potentially looks like it's more wasteful and optimal beta reduction will sort of clean it up for you. Now that, I mean, it doesn't change your code. It just, when it runs it, it manages to make sure that it doesn't reduce redexes more than once. So computing a big data structure um, from X repeatedly well, you won't do it repeatedly. You'll just do it once. Um, so that was one of these examples. And Victor's other example, which I copied on, onto the blog, and this one was really just directly copying what he gave me, was um, actually this is really funny because I've seen this. Uh, 
<laughs> in a totally different setting, looking at nested recursion. Um, there's a paper by Alexander Krauss on nest. Uh, let me check the title: nested and partial recursion. Hang on a sec. I'm going to just pull this up so I can tell you the right thing. Um, yeah, it's partial and nested recursive function definitions in higher order logic by Alexander Krauss. That's with K R A U S S. And in there, he's got this little example, which amazingly, as a, I think as just a coincidence, is exactly the one Victor sent me for. Um, so it uses nested recursion, uh, and Krauss's paper is about how you handle nested recursion in a where you're a language in a theorem prover where you need your functions to be terminating, which is interesting to us here on this podcast anyway. But um, Victor happened to send it as an example of something where optimal beta reduction completely destroys non-optimal beta reduction. And the function is this. It's a very, um, it's a painfully artificial example, but it is actually also sort of beautiful too. So we're going to compute the identity function in a horribly expensive way. <laughs> At least it's horribly expensive for GHC, but it's dirt cheap for optimal beta reduction. And you can easily observe this with a little test. So here's what we do. You say, well, I've got this function and Victor called it busy. So I'm going to call it busy. And it's defined by recursion on n, and for each, you know, for a given natural number input, it's going to return a function. And guess what? It's going to return the identity function all the time. But you won't really be able to see that, right? That'll need, need like an inductive argument, okay? But so for the base case of busy, for when you call it with zero, it takes a natural number and returns a function. For um, zero, it just returns the identity function, just so returns lambda xx, okay? Now for n plus 1, let's say, it returns a function that is basically composing, so again, this is busy n plus 1, it's basically going to compose busy n with itself, okay? But the way you write the code is you say, well, busy n plus 1, you take in an input x, and then say, let's let, you know, temp equal busy n in temp of temp of x, so in other words, you're going to use a let to say, I'm remembering, uh, I'm going to just want to, I want to get a name for making a single recursive call to busy. So I'm going to call with busy, I'm going to call busy n. I'm going to get a name for the, that function that I get back, and then I'm going to call that function twice on my input. Um, all right, I guess another way to say this would you could just say, um, yeah, this would maybe have been a little simpler way to write this code. You could say, just let f equal busy n in f composed with f. That's all we really want to do. Now, f composed with f, two uses of f's, uh, as we'll see with optimal beta reduction, is already sort of hinted at. You know, duplication, where I use variables twice, is where all the excitement happens, and particularly function variables. So this is a place where optimal beta reduction is designed to deal with this, um, and uh, standard compilation techniques for functional programming languages can't do anything with this. So basically, you just say, um, you call busy n, and you get this function back that's going to make this exponential number of calls all the way down to these base case identity functions. And so you're going to get this exponential tree of calls to the identity function, which just, you know, <laughs> just gives you back your input. But it's going to make a lot of calls en route, en route to giving you back that, your same input you started with. In contrast, optimal beta reduction, in a sense, um, you can think of it as, uh, well, 
I mean, we could, let's say, not think of it, but let's argue. If you just argue by induction, you can argue by induction that busy n gives you the identity function back. And so, you know, the base case, well, we said busy give for zero is identity. And busy for n, it says, well, let, you know, temp equal busy, uh, sorry, busy for n plus one. It says, let temp equal busy of n. And by the induction hypothesis, that means let temp equal identity. And then you compose it with itself. Great, that's the identity. And that takes just like a couple beta reductions to do that. Yeah, and the key thing is it takes a couple beta reductions to do that um, under the lambda x. I mean, when you do a composition, you're saying, you know, take in an input x and call the first function of the second function of x. And so those couple beta reductions that you need to see that identity composed with identity is identity, uh, they do have to happen under a lambda. And reducing under a lambda is something that mm, I don't think any functional programming language implementations that I'm aware of do. But you must do it for optimal beta reduction. And so this example, when you run this busy example, just ask it to um, compute busy of 32 or something, and it's going to take 10 seconds. <laughs> Whereas optimal beta reduction will take zero seconds because it will be instantaneous. Um, the example is very artificial, funnily, coincidentally, also from this Krauss paper on nested recursion. And it is a nested recursion. F of F, you know, composing F with itself is calling F of F of X. So that's a nested recursion calling F on the result of another recursive call to F. Um, so anyway, so these two examples, I think, quite definitively exhibit non-optimal behavior in GHC. That is, behavior where we can see that if you had an optimal beta reduction, you would be um, asymptotically more efficient than GHC. Now, of course, GHC's engineering is so fantastic that the problem would come if you want to play the game, which I kind of want to play, of trying to beat tools like GHC. Wow. Boy, it's been a long epidemic in the basement here. I need to think of something better to do with my time. Yes, yes. Let's try to beat GHC. Sure. Go for it, man. <laughs> um, if you're going to try to play that game, the problem, one problem you'll face is, is that these optimal beta reduction algorithms have a ton of overhead, at least the ones that have existed up to now. They have a ton of overhead. We haven't really talked about this yet, but I will try to talk about that in subsequent episodes. And overcoming that overhead um, is a big problem. And so, yeah, sure. For these, admittedly, pretty artificial examples, you would, if you had a big enough value of n, you could, you would expect that eventually um, you'd see your tool, even with lots of overhead, beat GHC. Um, but for just regular old things like, oh, just sort of listed numbers or something, you know, that's going to be really tough. GHC is probably going to crush you because it's so optimized for sort of standard case stuff. Um, and you say, well, isn't that what you want? <laughs> Don't you just want it to be optimized for standard case stuff? To which the answer is, well, wouldn't it be awesome if we're optimal for everything <laughs> and not terribly sucky for everything as well? I mean, GHC is awesome for some stuff and non-optimal for some other stuff. What if you could be optimal and not horrible? <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, the danger of not being on a commute is I've talked too much here in my basement. So I um, hope you're well and hope to post again sometime, maybe in the next week or so, continuing the discussion of optimal beta reduction.